Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson. I have the privilege of working with extraordinary leaders who become CEOs, who transform their organizations each and every day by activating the workforce. And that's what you're going to hear today from Adrian Mitchell. He's CFO and COO of Macy's, the great American icon that has been making strides to changing the way it delivers for consumers. And Adrian lights those hearts and souls that make that possible today. Listen to Adrian. Adrian, it's so great to be with you. I have so admired how you've been a transformation agent and taking this great American icon through a process of massive change and, and thinking through the ways that that could affect and improve the lives of the employees and, and the customers as well. So thank you for the honor of having the opportunity to work with you this last year and a half. And I appreciate you having this conversation. It's so great to be with you, Mark. And our friendship and our collaboration the last year has just been incredible. It's been amazing. So grateful to have you in my life as a partner. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Well, when you think about how you take that sense of caring that we can all read in your face and how you show up when I see you on the many media platforms, whether you're talking to Wall Street or talking to employees, how do you think about this process of transformation when it comes down to the team and the people that you yes. lead? Well, you know, the important thing to recognize from a transformation standpoint is change is now the new normal. Yes. And as part of that change, we have to understand in our business, how is the consumer evolving and how do we not only keep up, but help support that change? They need, they're transacting on different platforms. They're using different devices. They have expectations about different brands that excite them. And so how do we, as a transform, transformation organization that's undergoing so much change, embrace it? Mm-hmm. It's the new normal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is one thing that I've learned about um, retail is if you stand still, you're out of business. Right. You know, the last decade before the pandemic, there was so much conversation about the retail apocalypse. Yes. And the retail apocalypse is very real. Mm-hmm. But it really was an example of you have to evolve. You have to change because the consumer is changing. But what's exciting about the evolution of the consumer is it brings a whole host of new opportunities, mm. new customers that come into the brand, new categories that you know are important to him or her, new brands that you can help grow and thrive that didn't exist maybe even 10 years ago. And with it comes the stickiness of the customer to our brand like Macy's or Bloomingdale's or Blue Mercury because they are inspired by the experience that we have to deliver. And so as we think about the transformation, it's an exciting time, but it's all about relevancy. If we can deliver a more relevant experience that's more inspiring, more engaging, and creates, brings great value to those shoppers, we win. And they, that's really what's wanna, they really want that experience, don't they? they that, do. Those immersive conversations. And they also want to communicate with you in new ways. They are talking about social media. What's that conversation like right now? You've got many yeah. generations, I guess, and many different types of consumers and they're now faced with more alternatives than they've ever had before. There's so many alternatives, but I always view retail as theater. <laughs> and you're going to want to see the best show. And if you can deliver an experience that's energizing and engaging and relevant, mm. they're going to come to the show again and again and again. And they're going to tell their friends about it, even on social media. Right. And so the notion of retail is very much how do we inspire through the experience? And it shows up in the products we select, the environment that we set up in our stores, the environment we set up online, 
how easy we make it to get to the products you're looking for, through, mm. whether it's internal search or the number of clicks to check out. The fundamentals are pretty pretty clear. Make it simple, make it relevant, mm. make it inspiring. Mm. And so it's hard to make it that simple and easy and inspiring. I mean, there's so much that can get in the way, whether it's thinking about the data you need to create a more relevant experience, or whether it's inspiring the colleagues in the stores to say hello to every customer that comes in or be helpful through the training. It's a complex thing to pull off. So I don't want to talk about, I don't want to make it seem like it's easy because it's quite challenging, but that's what's exciting. Mm. How do you make something so important, more simple from the customer's perspective, even though there may be sophisticated processes and systems behind it that's needed to generate that experience? And so it's an exciting time to be able to explore and evolve and shape an experience that customers can get really excited about. When you talk about this, Adrian, yes. you just have a sense of passion, a visceral connection <laughs> that I'm feeling. And yes. That you, you have this deep sense of caring. Uh, and what drives you? Why, why are you showing up this way at this time uh, in this organization? It's a very personal thing for me. Um, my purpose in life is to help companies succeed. And when companies succeed, communities succeed. You know, my dad worked at Georgia Pacific for over 35 years. Mm. That allowed him to live the American dream starting as an immigrant with he and my mom, $150 coming into this country, to living the American dream, retiring in his early 60s, sending me to college, putting food on the table, supporting other family members that needed help, so the humility and staying grounded mm. is something that I've never lost and that I try to teach to my kids. But I can make a difference in this world while I'm here by making a difference in the communities we serve. And if Macy's is successful or any employer that I have is more successful, we employ more people. We have over 80,000 colleagues that rely on Macy's to be successful. And that allows those communities to be successful. They can put food on the table, sell their kids to college, take a nice vacation. That's what drives me. And so, you know, I've been a turnaround guy for a long, a long time. time. Yeah, right? this because is your first rodeo. This is not my first rodeo. Um, I have a real passion on helping companies be successful, whether they're distressed or whether they're mature, but have an opportunity to evolve. And I think Macy's is one that is a mature company and has an opportunity to evolve. And so that's what drives me. That's what gets me up in them. You're finding the best and, and helping the the rest be transformed in a way that they can serve at their highest and absolutely best purpose. Could you have imagined at any time earlier in your youth that you would be doing this? How if you go back to <laughs> earlier points in, in, in your yes. life, tell us a little bit about that journey that would have led you to a place like this. Well, you know, there are a few values that I learned from my parents very early on that have stuck with me my entire life mm -hmm. and my entire career. Mm -hmm. The first thing is stay grounded, stay humble. So my parents, they both don't have college education. And I find them to be some of the most insightful people that I have conversations with because they're just very pragmatic and very grounded in the reality. Mm. And so that's one dimension that's really important. The second piece is never stop learning. And I'll share a really silly example. Seventh grade, you know, I always was a straight A student but always had to be in English. For some reason, I could never really get a consistently A's in English, but I always consistently had A's in my math and science courses. And I came home one day and I had to be in math. And my dad was so upset because he knew I could do better. 
the lesson there is I know you can do better. Keep your standards high. Wow. So never complained about the being English. Never complained about Was it sure whether that was in your wheelhouse <laughs> or not? It obviously is now. <laughs> yes. But, but he was really wanting you always to lean in. Always to lean in. And then the third piece is don't lose your imagination. Don't lose your imagination. So much about theater and retail is about imagination and thinking about what's possible and building the bridges from where you are today to what could be. And so much of retail, if you think about the most well-known brands in the world, they didn't repeat what already exists. They broke into imagination. Just think about what we do today. Google, iPhone. I mean, just kind of go down the list of what gets people energized. It's a use of imagination and building it into the reality. And that's what I love about retail, is really thinking about what's possible, grounded in the facts and insights from the consumer, and imagining something that they're going to be inspired about and want to tell their friends and family members about mm. and keep coming back for more. And that's what's exciting about working in consumer and working in retail. When you think about that, I hear you talk and I think about the fact that people not have the opportunity to have augmented reality and, yes. and virtual reality. Lots yes. of conversation that in recent times about that new devices coming out that yeah. help us to do both. And and then a revolution in AI that is is starting to inform and alarm yes. at the same time. <laughs> How would you characterize that fitting into this equation as you yeah. think about the future? You know, I think a level of experimentation in most companies, they call it R&D, but I think a level of experimentation is healthy. Mm. And, you know, my perspective is you want to experiment, but you also have to find solutions that are repeatable and scalable. And so some of these ideas are worth exploring, but they're not necessarily at the level of scalability yet. So when you think about generative AI, there's so much more to learn. Yes. You know, there are definitely strengths, but there are also opportunities we have to be very thoughtful about. Yeah. Um, but we've used, you know, some of that at, at Macy's with great success. Mm. But at the same time, it's still new. It's still maturing. There are other things that we've really leaned into in terms of predictive analytics that's much more mature that 10 years ago was not as applicable right. within retail. So it's really understanding where some of these are on the maturity curve and how do we apply it to create a better operating model that's more efficient and a better experience for the customer where it's relevant. So it's almost this, yeah, that's the why. It's like this play of, of art and science, the art of kind of the theater, but the science of how do you leverage the technology and the analytics and the insights and create something that's quite imaginative and magical. You know, we talk about the magic at Macy's as an example. That's, that's what we're trying to do. You have a lot of people that have to come together to believe that magic yeah. and, and then be that magic. Yes. Uh, talk about the, the way you ignite those hearts and minds yeah. to participate as a workforce. Absolutely. You know, from my experience, you know, in all of my experiences that I've had today, it starts with laying out a vision that everyone feel they could be a part of. Mm. Right. So when you think about serving the customer, the leaders in supply chain, moving the product through on time, getting the right size to the right stores, they can impact the customer experience. The colleague that's sitting in the store can say hello to the customer and guide them to the right department for what they're looking for. Getting them excited about the possibility of serving the customer better with a vision that's relevant for the enterprise gets everyone energized about the possibility. Everyone wants to be on a winning team. And 
the other dimension about the vision is as you start building that bridge to that vision, taking the time to reflect and celebrate the wins. You don't get it all right the first time. You know, in my teams, we celebrate the learnings, right? Failure, and we celebrate the wins as progress. Interesting. And so the victory the, lap isn't the final lap, but the, you have to celebrate exactly. that milestone. There's so many laps. Yes. You know, there's so many laps, but as you're building, celebrate the wins, celebrate the successes along the way, and it builds energy, it builds momentum. So much of success of the enterprise is what the team does. And, you know, when I think about my leadership roles, inspiring the team to solve problems and inspire the customer without being told to do it, because they have the parameters to say, hey, within my, the, my role, I have the freedom to do what's right in the right way, collaborating, working with others. But it takes an entire team to get that whole entire ecosystem to work in sync. The process you're talking about requires a a lot of skill and collaboration, which is not something we really necessarily learn in school as we're, especially (laughs) as a rising star, it's a lot of individual attainment that's going on. It's being the best in class or or doing your best and keeping your eyes on your own paper. And then we go to work and we've got to work together and we have to do it at scale and we have to be a high performance team in addition to that. Yes. Could you talk about how you learned to to collaborate at scale and and what we would coach others to think of as a leader? The one thing that I share with folks very um, regularly is there's no hierarchy in great ideas. And for me in retail, having the humility to speak to the janitor in the store speak to the stalker, speak to the cashier, speak to the regional manager. There is no hierarchy in the ideas that are necessary to actually thrive and succeed in this business. And so what it does, it creates this openness, this approachability that then creates an energy of, we can do better, here's what I've seen, how do we actually work together in a very different way? When people don't feel that they can share their perspective and their ideas, it's usually one of the recipes to failure over time. Yeah. They start shutting down. They accept things that they know could be better. They don't communicate how to be better as an organization. And they're less happy. They're less energized. Less engagement. Yeah. The energy comes from being empowered to say, you have a voice. You can make a difference no matter where you are in the organization. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I recognize that as I've progressed through the organization, being focused on what's best for the organization has served me very well. Because with that is an egoless leader that's more focused on delivering results for the business and our shareholder and our colleagues. And that's what really matters. That's how we win when our stakeholders win. You know, that's got to shock the heck out of competitors within an organization. They can be political. I see it as a zero-sum game yes. in a foot race, and you've decided that you're going to do what's best for the customer and best for the yeah. company. That's the mutually beneficial outcome. Yeah. And, and when you've been helping coach people through that, what's the process of having them kind of see what that means? You know, when I, if I step back a little bit and think about the type of talent that I look for, right. I think there's an important dimension there. Exactly. Um, there are many people that have the competence, but not everyone has the values. Mm. So I look for leaders that are lifelong learners, that have the humility to understand upon their own self-reflection, here's where I really can make a difference, but here are the things that I'm working on and speak with it with confidence to say, I'm excited to learn in these areas, mm. but also they have to have the courage to have their convictions voiced in spite of who may be pushing back. 
Interesting. And so when I think about the team that I've been very blessed with at Macy's that I've been able to bring in, they have these qualities. They have the self-courage. They have the humility. They care deeply about their colleagues. They care deeply about the business. And when you have that combination of competence and values and energy around how we work differently together, it's pretty magical. Mm. And it's an online. It's an online. You know, I love the fact that I can step back and have the team do their thing. And they do it because they have the permission. And the things that they accomplish, it's just incredible. The progress that can be made in such a short period of time. You just got to unleash them, unleash their potential. We cannot underestimate as leaders how much we can unlock someone's potential or lock up someone's potential. And our behaviors and the signals that we send Mm. to the organization really dictates that. So I spent a lot of time thinking about how to unleash that potential all the way through the organization. That's that's inspiring. Uh, Thank you. Allowing people to really find that voice, speak it, and then you're creating the safety Yes. And the empowerment. So yes, let's so take, well take it and run with it if you're able to do that. When you think about the many different stakeholders that you yes. have to serve yes. in the role that you have as a chief operating officer, as yes. a chief financial officer, such different groups in terms of their, <laughs> what you might even describe as their values. But certainly in my estimation, I almost yeah. think of it as cultural differences, almost like a language of the CFO yes. with the street and a language of a, a CEO with employees and yes. a COO with the operations of an organization. Could you talk about how you would, yeah. you know, if you were coaching another CFO to step in that role, yes. how would you have her or him think about talking to the street? Because it's such a unique set of values yes. and language there. You know, it's interesting. I tend to keep it simple. And my language to the street is very similar to the language with the team. So I'll give you a few examples. Um, when we think about shareholder value, every, anyone who puts a dollar in Macy's stock wants to have more than a dollar when they exit. And so it's a simple concept, right? We're all investors, right? We all have, you know, simple ideas, but it's hard to do. <laughs> exactly. But the principle from a shareholder standpoint is we want to make the business better because mm-hmm. that value of that stock is going to be higher, the better we're able to run the operation. So what are the kinds of things we can do to improve the operation? In terms of sales, it's all about inspiring the customer to buy more from us versus the competition. In terms of margin, if we buy the right stuff, we don't have to mark it down. We have healthy margins. Margins is a reflection of do people like what we are offering? If they like it, they're going to buy it at full price. If they don't, you're going to have to mark it down. Interesting. And we're not going to be able to make as much money. So the choices we make about the products and the brands we bring into our platform is important. When we think about Labor, I think about productivity, not cost cutting, because I view our talent in our stores as assets in terms of driving the top line and the bottom line. So it's all about speaking in simple terms that everyone can understand. If we speak in silos, then there's an asymmetry of information. And so I try to speak the same voice internally and externally so that people can understand a broader picture as to how we make trade-offs. So when you think about the colleague, the customer, and the shareholder, they're trade-offs. Can we afford to do some of the things we want to do for the customer? But the more that the organization understands that those are our three stakeholders and we have to make the appropriate trade-offs, then we make better choices about how to build a healthier business that has colleagues happier, shareholders happier, and customers happier. And that debate, that tension 
is where the problem solving and the insight and the imagination comes from. Right. You need to have some level of health and tension to be able to have those ideas come to life. And so that's what's exciting. That simple narrative can be translated to different parts of the organization. That's, that's really impressive because when I think about the diversity of different voices that you have from the Wall Street even yes. itself, whether it's the, the buyers of stock or the sellers, uh, the, the sell side or the buy side, yes. you've got people who really have different types of objectives uh, yes. that they're thinking about. Could you talk about how it is that you build beyond the notion of the simplicity of the platform? How yeah. do you build trust? I, yes. I read one analyst report that said, in Adrian, we trust. I, in 30 years of doing this and 83 engagements, I've never seen anyone ever say that about a CFO. Uh, what happened there? You know, transparency and um, credibility is really important, not only with the street, but also with our colleagues, with the people we work with. And, you know, I've been a big believer that being transparent about where we have opportunity and where we're making progress is so important to an investor making choices. Mm. And so if there's a moment in time where we may have, you know, a quarter that's not to our expectations, but we're transparent about how we can make it better, that's a level of credibility. And so what I've tried to establish with the street is transparency. Mm -hmm. They're making investments in Macy's. That's a big decision for a sell sider to advocate for Macy's through a buy rating or for a buy side analyst to say, hey, we should make a bet in Macy's. Those are big choices and big decisions. We want to make it easier. And so my narrative is very much, I want to make sure that you're informed. But by the way, we're excited about the future. And here's why we're excited. But it's a journey. We're building the bridge. Here are the steps that we're taking. And so here's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And we're going to remind you of what we accomplished, given what we said we were going to do. But we're also going to be very transparent about the challenges and the opportunities ahead. Then our shareholders can make informed choices about their investment in Macy's. But I will tell you, there's a lot to be excited about. Yes. There's yes. a lot to be excited about. There is tremendous upside as we think about the opportunities that lie ahead. And we continue to share more and more about it every quarter. But we're excited about the future. When you think about that excitement for the future and the strategy that you place, you know, you have many different overwhelming choices when you've got the disruptors, the little guys that, that specialize <laughs> in an area, those yes. that want to, want to, the big gobbling, uh, the, the big uh, Monsters of the business that want to want to defeat you. Yes. How do you think about competition? Competition is healthy. Yeah. Competition is definitely healthy. You've got to be on top of your game in order to be competitive. And you know, when you think about the consumer, there's only so much capacity for consumers to spend. And you have to win their hearts and their minds and their wallet. Yeah. And so right. you know, competition is absolutely healthy. And there are consequences for not competing well. And there are rich benefits and rewards for investing in, in the right experiences mm -hmm. to win in retail. Right. And that's what energizes me to come to work every day, right? It's when you don't perform, there are consequences because of the operating decisions that we've made. But how exciting to understand that the right operating decisions can create a better outcome for our colleagues, for our shareholders, and for our customers. Competition is a good thing. It's it a good thing. It holds us accountable, doesn't it? It holds uh, us accountable. Uh, it really <laughs> keeps us in the game. When you think about your leadership journey, and yeah. you were and are very much always developing other leaders, as we talked a moment yeah. ago about, yeah. what do you wish you knew about leading people and, and getting that level of unlocked energy that, 
yeah. that you made it possible for them? What, what do you wish you knew that you know today? It's such a great question. Um, I would say that one of the pivots in my career was really showing up authentically at work and being comfortable bringing my true authentic self to work. I had a work age man and a non-work age man for about half of my career. And what I realized, um, you know, midpoint through my career is we work with people. They have emotions, they have families, they work really hard. Um, and when you take the time to recognize that this is a human business, first and foremost, talent really matters, but also having the humility to say, hey, man, you've been working so hard, take the afternoon off. Or sending a thank you note to someone mm -hmm. unexpectedly and saying, you really stepped up, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And copying their supervisor or their boss, it goes a long way. This is a human business, mm -hmm. first and foremost. And so taking the time to say thank you, taking the time to show appreciation, having the acknowledgement and awareness to recognize that hey, the team's been working a bit harder, or if someone has a baby, to take the time and show me a picture. Like, this is a human business. You want to connect with people at the most basic level. And you have to do it authentically. You can't fake that stuff. We really people can't can fake smell it. it. Yep. People can smell it. But just take, we're humans. Take the time to care. You know, that's really what it comes down to. That was a massive unlock for me. And if you want to have people follow you, they're going to follow someone who cares, who cares about them, cares about their well-being. They're not going to follow someone who's selfish and it's only in it for themselves. And you can't hide it. You just can't hide it. This transparency is something that I admire the most about you. This uh, confidence that who you are, Adrian, is the person that is worth loving. Thank um, you. And uh, I wish most of us could even get any point in our life where we felt that kind of level of confidence for who we are. When your parents looked at you going off to college and not having gone themselves. Yes. Um, you had a lot of reason to be proud. They had to be prouder. What was it like for you? I mean, you not only went to college, you went on to places like Harvard. You didn't just get jobs. You became CEO of name brand companies and worked at McKinsey. These are yes. all the best of, of the best. Yeah. You didn't come from circumstances that I think you would have agreed, would have even predicted that. Yes. Work ethic. Just work ethic. I, I got to tell you, I've been... You know, there are a couple of things that I've been fortunate and blessed in my life. Number one is the work ethic. And I'll give you an example of where the work ethic came from. You know, when my mom um, and my dad, when we came to the United States, I remember my mom would go to school at Delta Community College in Baton Rouge, and then she'd work a full-time job. And I remember she would wake up at 5.30 in the morning to walk to work at, at, the, at the home the day, the um, elderly home, where she was effectively a janitor. Then she'd walk back home as she, after she got off at three to get the one 1974 Chevy Nova from my dad who had just finished up at the plant so she could take the car to Delta Community College. But what I remember is that cycle, in addition to at night, she'd be up until two or three in the morning studying before she had to go to work. So this gift of work ethic, I was able to live, breathe, and experience. And so it's something that I very much appreciate, but I also recognize that sometimes my work ethic is at a different level than others. So I have to <laughs> yes. be very humble to say not everyone has the same work ethic, but that's a gift that I got from my parents. Mm. The other piece that I think is really important 
that I've learned is the importance of sponsorship. Where, you know, no one is able to navigate their career on their own, especially me who had no sense of the journey that I would be on, that I've been fortunate to be on. You know, when I finished up at LSU, my thinking was, hey, I'm going to be a professor at a university. I'm going to go get my PhD and such a different path. But I've been blessed with mentors and sponsors who've taken the moment to say, here's an opportunity. And when you have the opportunity, make the most of it. Take the time to, in the moment, make a difference. I tell people, you know, when I am mentoring, you know, young folks, I said, you're, so you're going to this job. What's your legacy? When you exit that job, how do you want to be remembered? Yes. What impact are you going to have in that role? And that's so important because personally, I've only taken jobs where I can imagine how I can make a difference. Interesting. Yes. And so I do take the time to do the research, but can I envision a better situation exiting that opportunity than entering it? And that's, you know, the combination of that in combination with the work ethic, as well as with the gratitude to my mentors and sponsors and advisors who've opened up opportunities I never would have dreamt of. Mm. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I'll tell you a super funny story, Please. which is, you know, I remember um, I was interviewing for the CFO role at Create Now, which was my first finance job. And I remember someone said, isn't that a stretch? You've never been in a finance job. <laughs> but I could imagine how it could make a difference. And that translated into the conversations I had with the CEO, with the board, with the ownership company. And it's just an example of so much is possible if you don't limit yourself. Mm. The work ethic, the imagination, you know, those things really do matter and can make a real difference. And so... You know, I've been very blessed to have those values that my parents taught me. Very, very blessed. Your, your mom, I can imagine, it's a beautiful story, is she's investing in herself. Yes. And then realizing there are consequences to that investment, because I'm yeah. caring for Adrian, I'm caring yeah. for her husband and, and family, and I'm caring for a future that's yeah. brighter. So there's this through line of optimism. Absolutely. And, and hope. Tell me a, a little more about mentorship and coaching because yeah. the role of a leader now more than ever is as a coach. Uh, yes. <laughs> and uh, we've had this opportunity to work uh, together in yes. terms of coaching. What, what do you value about that coaching process? Yeah. Uh, what, what works, what doesn't for you? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, I spend a lot of time reflecting and being a lifelong learner. But what I've loved even about our process is the ability to figure out how do I address the gaps? Because when you're reflective, you can see some of the gaps, you can see the indicators, but you may not understand the root cause, you may not have the tools to adjust. And in, even in our process, just thinking through, how do you really elevate the ability to lead others to a whole different level? Right. The toolkits and the exercises we went through, that's such an invaluable asset. So when I mentor others, I pass it along. Mm, this lesson, I pass it forward. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people can really benefit from these fundamentals of how you engage people, how you connect, how do you seek understanding, how do you ask thoughtful questions, how do you make sure that they feel they have the permission? Like all these tools are tools that I've guarded over my career, but I always try to pass it forward mm -hmm. because everyone is on their own journey. But how do you give them the tools to reach their potential? Well, I can't think of a person I would rather work for or know or have the opportunity to learn from Adrian. You've been activating hearts and minds 
in your company, um, on the streets, uh, <laughs> among customers with me. Thank you for the privilege of, of knowing you and learning from you. And I, I look forward to the opportunity of bringing you back to this conversation at the Chief Executive Alliance. Thank you for having me. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson. And please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.